0: You're listening to the Practically Pastoring Podcast, where we want to help pastors and church leaders share ideas, become better shepherds and leaders, and have a good time with friends.
1: Welcome to the Practically Pastoring Podcast. My name is Frank, and I'm here with all the boys, because all the boys are back in town. Up in Baltimore, Maryland, fresh from a trip in Florida, we got Jeffrey Simpson.
2: What up? Hey, Tim and Andrew, can you guys sit up a little higher? I can't see you from up here on top of the AL East. Ouch. <laughs> Ouch! Ouch! Ouch. Wow. Yeah. Okay. A we, hey, listen. Video. We just smoked the Yankees. We, I did, and I adopted I the Rays when I moved there too. Three three
3: years, <laughs> so you grew up here. All right. Listen <laughs> how butt he is.
1: Down <laughs> in someplace South Carolina, who has no idea what this conversation's about. We got dumb RP sports balls.
0: Sport. Hey, but Ninja Turtles comes out this week, so let's jump oh, on yeah. that. I was
1: hooked. Uh, and then together in the Morning After Ministry studios, we got Andrew Larson, Salty. Hey, y'all. and Timothy Miller.
4: I have missed you, my friends. I've missed you.
1: It's good that everyone is together. Everyone is here. Hey, while wow, we have a quick second with everyone's attention early on the show, um, we are announcing our newest era as a podcast. We are in our podcast network era. Is this like the and- era's tour? Yeah, just like the Eros two. We have thing? a new era. Cool. Yeah. Um, we are something. we're announcing a new show that's gonna be happening starting September fourth. It's called the What is a Campus Pastor Podcast. And so uh, just to give you a little bit of an insight, uh last year it's one uh,
2: blank episode. <laughs>
1: last year I went on some, I went on a partial sabbatical and I met with probably like seven campus pastors 20 minutes Ask into first episode
3: somebody else presses play
1: <laughs> guys mm-hmm. go, go go to my YouTube go to the Instagram account mm-hmm. of the podcast and it's, it's just Andrew slandering the titles it's of every just campus
2: it's just pass. you <laughs> stealing content from lead pastors the same thing <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> <All right. laughs> All right. All right. <laughs> I like, okay. We're making new it's
0: content for you
1: for more <laughs> clips. In so this stay episode tuned for right our here. other
0: supplemental podcast called The Commentary on the Podcast for <laughs> Campus Pastors. Our, our, ne-
1: our next podcast is going to be called when a, when a Pastor Needs a Therapist because of the
0: <laughs> oh. the br-
1: brutality I'm on this, facing on the show. But um, but hey, yeah. What is a campus pastor? If you are a campus pastor, if you know a campus pastor, if you work with a campus pastor, if you're considering becoming a campus pastor, this podcast is for you. It's uh, two episodes a week. One episode talks about details about the role of a campus pastor, and the uh, the the sister episode on the on the other end of that week is going to be interviews with uh, actual campus pastors in though in in the ministry, in the trenches from all over the country, I got the person who wrote the only book about campus- about being a campus pastor. There's only one book in the entire world about campus pastors. Uh, we're interviewing him. we got How many people, pages is it uh, over a hundred yeah it's okay. it's a good book it's, it's a picture they, book. Are- are they all colored
2: oh in already, God. or it's just a QR yourself? code to a sermon? Delmar, <laughs> it's just an instruction manual. Delmar has not
1: been a campus pastor for three hours. He's like, I'm, I'm a big boy now. I'm gonna make fun of Frank too. <laughs> oh no no, no.
0: I was on uh, two years, man. That's a enough to see the truth.
1: Oh okay, all right. All right. <laughs> I'm just giving well, you hard time, bro.
0: Um, Mark
1: Dever approves of this podcast. He he has his full endorsement. Uh, so just so you guys know, we're a nine marks podcast. And good joke, and no one <laughs> no, laughed at I was saying, no. whatever, dude. <laughs> Vodie Balkum also uh,
0: has endorsed it. Sure, sure.
1: So, anyways, go on Instagram, go on Spotify and Apple Podcasts, type in what is a campus pastor. If you go to whatisacampuspastor.com, all the stuff will be there. We'd love for you to subscribe, get that going. And on September
2: 4th, you'll start seeing those shows. Maybe the greatest uh, headshot I've ever seen for the, for the oh, artwork. So good. Oh. Thanks. Professional He's, buddy, it's a
1: handsome guy. It's a handsome guy for sure. Well, hey, let's dive. We have uh, we have uh, two uh, little questions we're going to talk about today. The first one, uh, I'm going to read you uh, the first sentence. Says this: "I was told that posting anonymous anonymously increases the chances of getting on the podcast." So here goes.
4: Accurate.
1: That's accurate because that's where we are. I am in the throes of applying, interviewing, and visiting churches for the for my first job in vocational ministry. What advice do you guys have? Stuff to look out for, questions to ask, red green flags, etc. So, very basic, person's about to enter into their first ministry job, they're looking for what to, what advice they have for this, what do you guys got?
2: Uh, I would say a big red flag right off the top is if they like are weird about or don't want to talk about salary pretty easily. Big gigantic red flag, you want to look out for that. And I would say the other red flag to look out for for you is just take note of any time in the interview process or even walking through the building or meeting other people in that process when you're like, "Ah, I don't like that, but I could probably get over that. Like any of those little checks you have in your mind uh, and even in your spirit, you really need to pay attention to those. Maybe write them down because those are the kind of things that you might be able to get get over it for six months or a year. But five years in, they're going to drive you nuts if you don't address it, Uh, especially cultural things where you're like, ooh, I don't like the way they do that. But, oh, well, I'll I'll get over that. Like, you really got to pay attention to that stuff in the interview process.
0: Man, you Um, know, like, oh, go ahead, Andrew. I'll let you go.
3: I would say if you have not reached out to our buddy Matt Steen at Chemistry Staffing, you are wasting a whole lot of time, uh, not just your time, but church's time as well. Uh, There are so many resources out there and it's such a weird process compared to any other job hunt that you will ever do that yep. finding an expert that's going to do the job hunt with you and actually, like, guide you through it is something that I wish I would have understood earlier in my uh, vocation that, you know, had had I understood that as a 25, 26-year-old instead of not until I was a 35-year-old, it would have made my life a whole lot easier. So. Whether it be chemistry or Vanderblom or whoever it is that that you think is the right fit with you, um, I would find one of those. And just because you are a couple of resumes into your search doesn't mean that you should not be sending out resumes. I've heard it said that you should have at least seven active resumes at any given time. In if you like are serious about landing a ministry job within you know about a year because it's that long and arduous of a process. So until you've heard back from a church, uh, keep, keep sending resumes out and don't think that just because you've had one or two rounds of interviews that you should not be sending out new resumes. And it, that's not the most spiritual side of the process, but it's the realistic side of the process. Churches take a long time to hire and an even longer time sometimes to get back to people that they're not going to hire. So you need to be realistic and send out a whole bunch of resumes.
4: Hey, well, from the the church side of things, we are in this process right now. We're in the thick of it. We we formed two search teams, one for youth pastor, one for worship director. We are very active in our youth pastor search right now. Last week was the Zoom interview phase, so we interviewed two candidates over Zoom, both of which are internal candidates. Uh, Matt from Chemistry Staffing has been walking alongside me every step of the way. He's the one who suggested the Zoom interviews to record those things. Um, He... He's also been great with resources, and he really hit on you know how how important it is to make sure your theology does match up. And, and when he said that, he said be really clear when it comes to open and closed-handed issues. He said the, the biggest rift that they have seen in recent years is you, you might have a closed-handed issue where theirs is an open-handed issue. And he said it takes about 14 months Yep. for the ripple effect to be felt. And he said, usually 14 months later is when you start seeing the cracks and things start to go awry because you guys were not theologically in line. So according to Matt, which was great for me to hear that the spiritual component there is, is a major deal. It's a big deal, especially when it comes to longevity in a position. Now, I will say as a rebuttal to Andrew, we are trying to do our best as a search team to let candidates know almost immediately, hey, this this is where we're at in the process. As soon as we finish an interview, I am I'm chatting with both of the guys. But you've know.
3: also recently been through a process, so the churches that have not hired somebody in five or six years—totally agree—they are the ones who are not going to. I'm just I'm just trying
4: yeah. to to say that yes. we're we're, do, we're trying our Hopefully best.
3: Hopefully, as a culture, we are getting better at about this. But I think we've all sent a resume out at one point and then not heard anything back for three or four months from that church that we sent an email to.
4: Yep. Sure. I told all of our outside candidates, "Hey, we are working through our internal candidates first. I will let you know if and when we are going to then branch out to our external candidates. Just know that we are going to exhaust our internal candidates before we do an external search. That was again based on the advice from Matt from Chemistry Staffing. Wise. Nice. So we have t- we have two guys right now that are really strong candidates. I I genuinely. Love both of the guys. They've been serving with me for the last six and a half months in student ministry, so I've seen them in action. So this is not going to be an easy process. So I, I feel for you, Anonymous Poster, it, it's not it's not uh, an easy or sometimes not even that smooth of a process because a lot of times the other side of this is the search team is made up of volunteers. Like th- They have full-time jobs outside of the hours and hours we as a church are asking them to put on in as a search team. I mean, last week alone, we probably put in... 15 hours as a search team between our meetings and the time wow. we spent praying and the time we spent reading resumes and calling references. So it, it's, it's a lot, it's a big ask. So be patient with the churches. We're, we're trying to do our best as well.
2: Yeah. I think it's, I think I would say too, like don't go into a search process where you really need the income bad because uh, like Tim said, this group of people, other than the maybe the staff pastor who might be on a search committee um this is like fifth or sixth priority in their life. This is like a thing that they might go think about once or twice a week, unless it's a full search team of like really, really committed, high, you know, commitment people who really want to get this done. If it's just your average search committee full of faithful people who are just like involved in their church, I would expect it to take six months at least. So if you are like, oh my gosh, I got to find a job. I want to find a ministry job fast. I'd go I'd go work at Home Depot or Walmart or Starbucks or something else and then do a long, let the search, yeah, whatever you got to do to where you have that income so you're not desperate and like, and then you're burning bridges because you're over-emailing search committees like, hey, have you met yet? What's going on? Because they're not going to like that. They don't want to feel rushed into it. Um, I think, too, maybe at the end of this conversation, we can talk about the nuances of being an internal candidate. Um, I have been one. Frank, you've recently been one. Um, who went through the process of an internal candidacy that went a different direction um, than you wanted it to go. Uh, I can tell my full story on that. But I think there are some specific nuances to that that maybe we can get into later.
0: Yeah, I got a couple things, just a couple thoughts. Uh, First of all, man, Tim, I can't lean into your theological nuance conversation enough. Like, If if the church is a, a little off to you, make sure that there's not some underlying stuff that that rift gets bigger, 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 you know, it's like, before you get married, you know, your wife, your wife says, Oh, I can stand this. And then when you get married, she's like, okay, you got to stop, you know, because when you're in a relationship, it amplifies everything. So seriously, you're the, how far off base are you than the leadership? Because even if it's a grounded church, if you're in a different place, it's just going to create some unnecessary, like, like y'all, your combination is the red flag. It may not even be the church. It may be you and, the combination. Um, a couple other things just to know if this church you're interviewing into is, is healthy. What's the relationship they have with the former staff? Um, are they the kind of church that don't talk to the former staff? Cause that means something. I know, uh, we could just take the rise in the fall of Mars Hill. You know, when that, when people would leave staff there, how did they, how did they treat the staff? It's comunicado, right? Which is actually super common in a lot of churches. Another thing, ask this in your interview, what's your turnover rate? Okay. Cause I mean I've worked at a, as a campus guy, and in five years my campus, including myself, there was 16 turnover of a campus 150. Okay, so actually it was about 100. So if you have a high turnover rate, that's that's a big red flag. Often, um, another thing, changing the terms of the deal. I had a guy interviewing for a student position here in our town. He was interviewing, made it always to the final. They called him the week of and said, hey, you know the money we were going to give you? Well, we talked it over. It's going to be half that. Half of the money, bro. And, you know, so he ended up that didn't work out, which was good. Um, And also, you know, if you really just kind of want to know, now often you got to take this with a grain of salt. Maybe sometimes a ton, but call the former person who had or reach out to the former person who had the position. I mean, Facebook exists. You can go on there and see who used to have it. Um, and if you can contact multiple former staff, just say, hey, you know, D- did you love the church you were at? You don't have to get super personal. But, you know, if if the answer you get back is, well, there are Christians that attend that church. Listen to what you're listening to. Also, listen to what you're not listening to if you're looking for a red flag. But you might call a church like like I if if I call somebody who were at Epicos, it might be like, yo, this church is legit. They reach. Cross generational, cross cultural. We know this guy named Frank. You need to come on staff. Okay, I want to check that out. But seriously, just I've had people do that to me. Hey, you were a former ex person at ex church. What are your thoughts? I mean, you have access to that. And then also, um, interview your your interview time period can be a red flag. But don't read into it too much. If they're just wanting to streamline and get you on real fast, like fast hire, fast hire, um, I would be a little cautious about that because. Are you really looking to see if you're compatible or are they just trying to fill a spot because they need to get a thing, which can be very dangerous and hazardous to you, especially if you're moving your family? I know a guy who they hired him into a worship position. He led worship on Sunday. The church saw he had a tattoo, told the pastor to fire him on Monday. That's that's a real story, and uh, he moved Yo, his whole. Maybe f-
2: roll your sleeves up when you go for the interview. Yeah, dude.
0: Yeah, and then <laughs> and then the last thing, if it's a slow process, um, if they communicate that to you up front, that shows that they have thought that through, that they're being respectful. But it's not just the fact that it's slow. If it's slow, at least if they're telling you why it's slow. Hey, you need to know we're interviewing you today. We got two other candidates in the shoot, um, so we'll be getting back with you within 24 to 48 hours. If if they do that and they let you know why they're going slow, then that that could be a sign of health and professionalism. But if they just you know drag you along and ghost you until the next time they reach out to you, that could be a totally different thing. So do keep tabs on how long your interview process is taken. That's a few things I just jotted down.
4: I would add in the interview process to be to be authentic, like it's, it's usually quite apparent when you're when you're trying to be something that you're not. Um, we're going to we're going to call your references and you'd be surprised at how honest uh, most of the references are, especially if they're former or current church staff employees uh, about you. So be honest, be authentic. Don't shy away from your shortcomings. Like, where do you need help? Where do you want to grow? Um, are you open to growth? That's been big for me in interviewing guys. Are, are you open to a season of of learning, you know, Lakeview culture or whatever that church's culture is? Or are you are you open to growing with with other youth workers or whatever, you know, whatever area it is you're trying to get into? So for me it's been authenticity. Please be clear with your shortcomings. How do you how do you want to continue to grow? Do you want to continue to grow? Is that important to you? Um, I mean, it's it's not like super difficult things but sometimes in an interview setting we can get you know in a mode where we think we have to like give off our best self now when sometimes that that might actually be a turnoff for some search teams where they they want to hear yeah. authenticity
1: I uh I love all this stuff I love the reaching out to Matt I wish when I was going for my first job I had someone like Matt at Chemistry Staffing to kind of guide me in that process um that that's super helpful I I echo with the being authentic. one thing I, I I try to encourage people is you need to separate your vocation from your calling and, and and what I mean by that is bro, that's literally what that word means though. Okay, well then help me figure <laughs> out a better way to, to think about it. I think it. you mean uh, probably uh, occupation and vocation. Maybe that's what I mean. like yeah. what you what God has called you to do versus the actual job because yeah. that's how pastors get underpaid. And that's how pastors get, like, into messy situations because they feel like, well, God's called me to this place or God's called me to this city or whatever. And then they're, like, they don't have health insurance. And then they're in a really rough spot. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. And so I think being okay by understanding that churches want – some churches want the best candidate for the lowest price. And because of that, like, you don't put yourself in that situation when you can't provide for your family. You know what I'm saying? Like, yeah. Like, be – I, I was just telling someone this, that the odds of someone getting hired for a role in the city they want to work in as a pastor is like a unicorn situation. Like most people in ministry, most pastors in ministry don't work necessarily in a, in a, in a community that's right by their family, that's like close to, to, to where they, where they want to be. Um, I mean, that's just the reality of being in ministry. There's so many variables, theological and denominational... Tim. Andrew and Tim are really. And Elmar, like, uh,
3: this is weird because both of us have <laughs> parents that attend our church, and
1: he. Uh... <laughs> <laughs> Andrew, didn't you spend a couple years in the wilderness in Dallas to, before you came back to Florida?
3: Well, yeah, that was to go to seminary, but yes, sure. I also yeah. live in a county with more than a million people in it, so that helps.
1: Yeah, I, I'm just saying the average person, like you know, I have been away from my you know where I'm where I grew up for you know, probably 15 years now, and um, it, that's just the nature of being in ministry, you know? And so I think that like, understand that there will be some compromises that you have to make when you have to apply for this job, um, uh, you know, moving away, that kind of stuff, it, it's a reality of being in ministry. I would be a, I'd be 100% authentic, be, re, be honest with yourself, especially because this guy this is his first vocational ministry job. I think that like there's a temptation to try to interview really well for the church, as opposed to just being authentically you, and and navigating those things. I love whoever said that about like don't become so needy that like you have to get this job or else everything fails. Like, um, be okay with this process being long because you like one thing we haven't said is that. All churches have different hiring processes. So there might be one church that's, like, sending you emails every week and being very good at communicating. There was literally, before I got to Epicos, I applied to a church in, um, like, outside of um, uh, Seattle. And um, I was already at Epicos for, like, three months. And then they said, hey, we would like to follow up with another interview. And I'm like, we hadn't talked in, like, nine months. Like, what are you talking about? Like, like this is a church. long time.
3: Here in Greater Tampa, when we, I was moving back after seminary, so 2011, and it was a church that I thought was going to be a great fit, and then I just didn't hear back from them, so I had accepted the position um, yeah. at Faith where I was in Seminole. And the Sunday, um, like after I was introduced at Faith, I got home and I was in my parent, I was at my parents' house in the kitchen, and I got an email. I looked at it, and it was like, "Hey, we would like you to come out and preach next Sunday." But I was like, "Okay, first of all, I haven't heard from you in at least two months." And second yeah. of all, you're inviting me to preach in less than a week from right now. Yeah. Okay. No. Well, I, I think, think that's, that, that's one that of the— has what, been through about five pastors since then.
2: I was going to say that's <sighs> one of the red flags. That's a sign of one of the big red flags is if a church or a search committee treats you like you need us, but we don't need you. Like you're lucky yeah. to get an interview here, and you know what? So if you can come out next week uh, and preach, that'd be great, like, you know— if they're going to treat you like that in the interview process, they're going to treat you like that when you become on staff or become the pastor. Um, I would say another sign to look out for that I've experienced before is when the search committee or the, maybe the elders, the deacons, whatever kind of um, setup you have going in your, in your particular stream. If there is the vibe of like the, the board or the deacons or whoever, their job is to protect the church from the pastor that's a enormous red flag. That's a huge leadership culture problem, and that will show up in um, in, in interviews in different ways. Uh, and so, you know, one of the churches I I interviewed at once, one guy asked me in 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 a like an interview, so if we vote you in, are you going to do what we want tell you to do, basically? And I was like, hmm, this is a weird way to be talking to your next senior pastor. So I'm not there now, but. Um, that's another red flag to look out for this kind of like control culture that they want to have over you as the pastor.
0: You know, and I think another thing is sometimes I tend to look at what I think's a red flag and it's not a red flag. You know, when I first went into ministry, I interviewed at several churches and one church in my hometown, 10 minutes from where my parents live, where I grew up five minutes from the school where I'm at they offered me a student ministry job and this was 2007 it was starting 54,000 a year plus benefits which youth ministry 2007 i mean hello and then i interviewed at another church in Newberry and it was 26 a year and with just some health and i said okay well let me look at the doctrine of your churches and the one that was offering a lot man like the more i read the doctrine my gut just started churning like it was really like I you know I don't want to sound too not like spiritual but I think the Holy Spirit does work in what you call your gut feeling and I ended up turning down the the 54,000. I went with the 26,000, even though people say that's a red light, but that church was given all they had, you know, and the cost of living was a lot lower where I was moving to. But here's the thing. If that one church that offered a lot, they hired another youth pastor and they fired him a year and a half later because he wouldn't let boys and girls sit on the same seat together on long overnight trips because the, the head deacon's daughter was dating one of the girls. And I'm like, I do the same thing, you know? So like my guys and girls aren't riding on the So I would have been the one fired. So I, I would say like, sometimes if we're looking at certain things like, well, this is a red flag, they're not paying enough. Well, value yourself, of course, don't settle for poverty. But at the same time, that's sh- that's not our ultimate thing. Now, if you're married, you have a family, you've got to be able to provide for them. That's honest, right? But at the same time like trust your gut sometimes. Ask to see the theological statement of the church. Sit down with it, pray through it, say, can I support this? Because this is this is where I I have to support the leadership of my church, right? So if if they have that so I'm really grateful the church around town here gave me their theological statement. That was very nice of them, but it also let me know that wasn't the place for me. This is great. I would-
3: and lastly, you know, if, if this is the first uh, vocation that you are applying for, I'm guessing that chances are it is not for the, the lead chair position, in which case you're going to have to ask yourself uh, if you can consciously put yourself under the authority of the person that you're signing up to work under, because it's not just about the elders and it's not just about the church culture. but It's there, the day-to-day, it's, day, yeah. Yeah, there is, there is a 40-hour-a-week person that you're going to be serving under, and so much of your job is kind of to make that person look good. And not to say that, you know, you're going to be a sycophant or anything like that, but your job is to back that person up. That's, that's part of the role. And so can you back up the person that you are signing up to back up?
2: I would say too, we said this, I think last episode or the one before, last one I was on where uh, an interview question that I said, maybe Tim could ask is what are you going to do when you get told no? I think you can ask yourself that as a, as a candidate as well can I get told no by this pastor or this elder board and and still respect and continue to, to, to gladly serve under them? Um, and do I trust not to say again, you're a sycophant and oh no, they said no. So I must be wrong. But to, to be able to have enough respect to know, Hey, I am in a second chair. I'm, you know, maybe applying to be a youth pastor and music pastor, whatever. And I don't know everything that's going on. Cause I, I can guarantee you moving from one seat to the next you don't know everything that's happening uh in the church so i would just say like ask yourself that question can i get told no and still continue to be under this leadership
4: it's a great Mm -hmm. it's a great question jeff we actually we did ask that with both of our candidates last week and we got some great answers i know the anonymous poster was also wondering what questions should they ask of the church i would say make sure you have a list of questions prepared because if if you're with a somewhat competent search team they're going to ask you okay what questions do you have for us so for you not to have anything prepared or you're just coming up with something off the top of your head it's gonna be painfully obvious to the search team so questions like what what's expected if you're married what's expected of my spouse are there any expectations Mm. of my spouse Um, I see here where it says you know other duties as required what can you give me an example of some other expectations you might have of me outside of the job description that's right in front of me so some some questions like that would be very, very helpful. And it shows the search team that you've done your homework and that you do have some questions for us as well. So even just a list of four, five, six questions can go a long way for the search team. Yeah,
2: yeah start to keep track of things that bother you in the current church culture that you're in and ask yourself, like, why do they bother me? And then turn those into questions for your position. So if you're in a church that uh, that only takes communion once a month and that bugs you or they take it every week and that bugs you, Figure out why, and then ask your potential church, "Hey, do you take communion every week or not, and why?" Uh, any of those type of questions that are those are going to be the things that you're going to go, "I can deal with that." And then 14 months later, they're going to drive you nuts, and you might get yourself fired over it. So those are the kind of things I'd write down. That's good.
4: Does Monday at the office feel like a storm? Not with Microsoft Copilot. That feeling when Copilot gets everyone up to speed instantly—it's sunny again. When Copilot simplifies complex data so your teams can act, that sun's shining on a beach. And when Copilot uncovers hidden insights, you're on that beach with your people and you find buried treasure. That's Microsoft Copilot. Learn more at Microsoft.com slash AI for all.
1: That's good. So we're going to dive into another question. It's going to be a very slight, not a, kind of a different topic for sure. Uh, I don't know if you heard, in some political news, Representative Nancy Mace talked about having sex with her fiancé. Not, a church, representative. Hmm. not a church representative. Not church representative. So she is, uh, I believe, uh, is a representative. She a rep? She's from South Carolina. No, no. I, I, don't,
0: I don't know. Is she? She is, She's
1: is a rep in South Carolina. She won't be
0: next term. Probably not. <laughs> uh,
1: so this is what she said at the prayer breakfast. She said, when I woke up this morning at 7, I was getting picked up at 7.45. She said, Patrick, my fiancé, tried to pull me by my waist over this morning in bed, and I was like, no, baby, we don't got time for that this morning. I got to get to a prayer breakfast, and I got to be on time. <laughs> so, I, I, I Priorities. Think I, yeah. So I I want, what I want to hear from you guys is what would you do? Because um, it comes out that her pastor – um, is in the room at this prayer breakfast. She's one of the pastors at this prayer breakfast. And um and and sometimes I th- when I hear stuff like this, I think about the fact that like I love when my congregation when I when I see someone from from a congregation just say the most unchurchy things to me and how like I love the realness of it, right? I love that they're being authentically themselves and not trying to sugarcoat it. But they are a political representative, and they are representing their church. They're speaking at this prayer breakfast, and, I, and so I guess my question to you: Is uh, what would you do if you were the pastor in that room, and uh, when a congregation, when a congregation, openly says or does
2: something publicly? Andrew is having the biggest boomer moment ever. <laughs> it is what? Tim's
3: fault. He <laughs> unplugged the camera.
0: You made my audio go out.
1: No, uh, no, I, no, I can something. hear you. You're
3: fine. He yeah, un- I know. I had to cut it back the on. Camera.
0: Okay.
1: There's so okay. much disrespect for Frank in this episode. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Andrew, I'm gonna I'm gonna mute you guys until you guys are ready to figure out what you're gonna I think do. Okay, we
3: might have to come out uh. and come back in. I don't know if if it'll let us. Yeah, I, it'll let you go out and
1: come back in. Well, okay. well, uh, the people with actual computers will focus on this question. So see you soon. Um, <laughs> so Jeff and Delmar, what would you do if you were the pastor in this room?
2: Um. I'll tell you the one thing that bothers me about it a little bit is how flippant she apparently was about the whole thing. Um, just like everything was like a funny haha. Yeah, I guess my passion and I don't have to talk. Ha-ha-ha. Mm. So, you know, I mean, I want to also say like people say dumb stuff in public. That happens. But then the tweet after, which was pretty flippant about it, um, is, I mean, it's like either just... Be like, yeah, I don't believe that that's a problem. Or, you know, I mean, do your best to, to follow follow what we believe Jesus teaches in that regard, which is, you know, celibacy before marriage. So, um, hey, By the way,
1: but Jeff, hold on. So just so people know, the tweet that he's referring to is she tweeted um, because obviously she was getting backlash. People saying that, like, this is embarrassing. Da, 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 da. She tweeted, I go to church because I'm a sinner, not a saint. Glad to those she goes to church including...
3: because she wants to be a senator, not a state rep Oof, There you go. Oof. Oof. yeah uh, that
2: that is like the opposite of what repentance would look like 100%. that is basically like, hey, get off my back, I'm not perfect, which is very, very much a part of church culture right now, like nobody can judge me, nobody can tell me anything i mean it this is not yeah. like that it's not a nuanced issue, she's you know. She's trying to make a joke out of something that, as a Christian, we would say, like that's not something we do. That's a clear sin, and she's basically like, "Oh well, haha, I sinned. Well, first no big th- deal. I guess I will have to talk to my pastor about it." Well, and my yeah. question is, I guess you haven't talked to your pastor and done any premarital counseling, so that, that might be something you want to line up. But I just well, and don't she's
0: like also how flippant. Divorced. So I don't. I, I, yeah. yeah. Well, to me, we were talking about this in the office this week. The lack of shame in in this is is really astounding it used to be like if, you know if you're a christian and you were you were in sin or you were struggling there was at least a level of i'm not putting that out there but it's just it's just a lack of shame um and then also a lack of church discipline let's be honest this is i mean we can paint it up we can talk about empathy it's a church discipline issue and they need to they need to have church discipline on her but the problem is if they're going to do that they're going to have to do it how many thousands of their other congregants that they let come and do not practice church discipline. This goes back to your interviewing. Hey, ask your church when you're interviewing, do you do church discipline? Give me some examples because if not, this is the pinnacle of it. These are the congregants we send out. So, I mean, yeah, I do think that there needs to be a conversation between the pastor. And if this, if this is a systemic of the church culture that they're creating, well, then I think we got a problem on our hands a lot bigger than what a representative said at a prayer breakfast.
3: I wonder what her campus pastor said about it.
0: <laughs> it's above his pay grade. He probably said,
2: let me help you set up a meeting with the lead pastor. <laughs> nice. Right. <Wow>. Nice.
0: <laughs> well, no. T- to be honest. Sometimes campus pastors get kicked back. Those, oh, those conversations pretty 100%. hard, you know, like, uh, but I mean, yeah, seriously, I think there needs to be a conversation and I do, you know, it's bad because we can look at it and it's real easy for us to dog on the church, dog on the church. But how many of our local churches, even our congregations, do we not let that happen? You know, I don't. I don't want to get into too much detail, but we had some people wanting to join our church recently, and our pastor had to sit down and say, "Listen, there's some stuff going on. Like you can't, we can't baptize you because of this, and we can't move forward with membership." That was really, I mean, he didn't enjoy that. They left the church. You know what I'm saying? Like no one enjoyed that. But at the same time, it's like, but you did the right thing, man. And also they know they were loved because we even came with them with solutions that was going to cost us. So I also think when you, when you're doing church discipline, you need to have solutions. You know, you need to be able to say, Hey, not just you're kicked out. Good luck. It needs to be the, the purpose of it is restoration, so ultimately, what I love to see is a full repentant heart on this lady, where the church did some action and she was restored. I don't know what that looks like in this situation, but it's pretty dang public right now.
4: Yeah, there's definitely an opportunity for grace here, like for the the senior pastor or yeah, a pastor to come alongside of of her and her fiance and say, "Let's let's have a conversation about this. I, I get it. You, you were you were making a joke, and uh, unfortunately, <laughs> it things have backfired. It but also, let's died.
3: expedite your marriage. You're engaged. Yeah." you know let's uh it's not like finances aren't an issue for you guys let's uh let's get this thing done but also we don't know if she's a member of that church if she's or just an attender. we're kind of assuming a whole lot of things because we're talking about church discipline well if she's not a member then she can up and go to the next mega church down the street whenever she wants so that's uh you know so many people say oh this is my church when they have no formal connectivity to that church or connection I guess connectivity is not the word I'm looking for but we're we're making a whole lot of assumptions about her and about the church that may or may not be true so membership should be discussed and this is why I
1: I, I, want to throw a little bit of like nuance and, and grace on this conversation because I for so for example like you know there are a number of people who come to Epicus and my church, i me take a step back in Milwaukee in general, it, there seems to be this like, um, uh, there's a lot of church, there's a lot of Christians who go to church who are cohabitating, who are living with each other. And, and one thing that we have to wrestle with, with folks like that is whether it's in premarital counseling or not, is to say like, well, if you want to get married at our church, if you want to get married by uh, one of our pastors, um, you know, one of y'all got to move out. You got to commit to you know certain things. Um, if you don't want to and you want to stay worshiping here, I mean, you can do that. Like we just we just you just wouldn't be able to get married by a pastor. And I always throw what you guys just said. Like, hey, what can we do to expedite this wedding? Like, can we get like what can we do to talk about moving it closer? If this is an issue, like the number one thing I always hear here is um, the reason why people don't move out is for financial reasons. And I always like we actually have a kind of a robust thing where the people who do premarital counseling have a a spare bedroom just for that purpose, for people who can't afford to move out, to have a place to to move into. Um, So we always throw that out. And then there's there's always some other kind of reason and whatever. But there's also couples who I've been uh, who who've gone through a premarital counseling here who actually have moved out when we presented that because they legitimately have never been told that there's anything yeah. wrong with cohabitating. People so will repent sometimes. It's not Truth like his love. It's, it's not awesome. like it's not callous like rebellion every single time this is happening. Right. Um so when I when I hear this though, I, I, I said this in the beginning of like I think sometimes there's these sweet moments with like unfiltered younger believers who like are just exploring their faith or exploring sincere you know, Christianity and they like, don't know what the right thing to do. Right. Like literally like I I met with a woman yesterday or not yesterday, last week who said, um, sometimes I listen to Beyonce and Taylor Swift on Spotify. Is that bad? Because I'm a Christian now. And it's like, that's, that sincerity in her heart like was so sweet that like, I'm not going to dog her if she's listening to like secular music, but like we had a really good conversation about like, you know, what you put in your heart and your ears can affect you. And so how is this music affecting you and stuff like that? And so, like, you know, I'm sure all of us have had that one congregate who, like, saw you at a, you know, you saw them at a restaurant. And they were, like, a little bit too tipsy. And they, like, made a crash joke. And you're like, oh, that's that's John. You know, he's he drank too much today. And, like, it's, it's, it's like you don't blame him because like, he's such a young believer. Maybe when the opportunity presents itself, you'll correct him. But, like, you don't, like immediately be like you're under formal church discipline the moment you see them curse at a restaurant or whatever so there's that caveat but the, the part that kind of rubs me the wrong way is this notion of like conservative politics and conservative christianity and this like what's interesting is she kind of reminds me of trump in the sense that she's forced to be in these situations where she's talking to other believers and doesn't know like the proper evangelical like things to say and not say. And so it makes me wonder like what you, what Andrew was hinting towards earlier, that the only reason why maybe she's going to this church is because, you know, it looks good on a conservative resume. Oh my gosh, <laughs> yeah, I remember. If you can't, for those of you who are only appreciating this podcast in the audio version, Andrew is imitating <laughs> uh trump's classic picture in front of that church in dc uh after the black Lives matters protest where he was holding is, the bible is this upside down
3: how you hold your bible <laughs> perfect <laughs> like this it's this perfect. is how i walk with my bible every day
1: yeah 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 yeah. All, all, all that to say is i think if i were one of her pastors sorry if i was the pastor in the room i would i would pull her in and use this as an opportunity to disciple her like hey you know, hey, you. you I don't know. See if pull her things. in is the title. Is the, <laughs> sure. the phrase you should use? Oh my gosh. Based on what oh she
3: my said, because someone already tried to pull her in. So it was okay, Patrick, schedule
1: a meeting. Schedule a meeting with her and her fiance. And say, hey, you saw Twitter. You see that response. How does that make you feel? What do you think about it? Yeah. Do you um, understand
2: why people are upset? Yeah. Yeah. Do you even I have.
1: Know? The, yeah, and like, and I mean, to be fair, if this woman is getting married through the church or with one of the church's pastors. And they don't have like guidelines about this, and this is like an issue on the church. But like, yeah. I would I, since since she is such a big figure, the 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 distance between people finding out who she is and what church she goes to is very small, and so it's good for the due diligence of the pastor first and foremost to use this as a discipleship opportunity to say, hey, do you understand this? Like, do you want to process this with me? Can I can I help you see where they're coming from? Not all the things on people are, are saying on Twitter is hateful. Like they're actually like saying that you represent Christ, and we we, we want to kind of, you know figure out how those things are connecting, um, and then maybe give this as an opportunity to present a better picture of what marriage is supposed to be and that covenant looks like. It's complicated because she's is this like a, just a political thing? And like, well, and the part of it is
2: it, like one of the fears you have in this situation typically is you don't want to embarrass the person publicly, but she said this from a platform with a microphone. So okay. it's like, there's a different dynamic there in terms of like the privacy and like, she made this into a joke. So I don't think it's, it's then like on the pastor to make sure everything is super duper private. It's like, I mean, you brought this he out into it. the public. Yeah. I I mean, honestly, I I, I think it it almost would be helpful to maybe write a statement or make a video as the pastors send to your church and say, hey, in case you're wondering, here's why we think cohabitating is a bad idea. Um, You know, you're essentially practicing to have an affair. You're kind of walking outside of what God wants for marriage. Also, there's all these statistics that show that cohabitating leads to divorce. Uh, It's just practically not a good idea either. So that might be a good way, a good opportunity to go, hey. This public thing happened. Most of you probably saw it. There's buzz in the church about it. Let me just address it. Uh, Maybe not from the platform on a Sunday, but in some other way that can go to the church at large. That's good. Tim, you have the final tape, final word. I I definitely agree and echo Jeff. I
4: would say not to shy away from from a hard truth. We, I mean, very practical example in, in Lakeview land from just a couple of weeks ago, a young couple approached, me that they're they're wanting to join the church they knew that they had been living together and said hey we're living in sin we want to do a big wedding we don't have the time or resources to do the big wedding could we do a small wedding with you to make this thing right and then can can you do a big wedding for us down the road and i said absolutely so they, we did premarital two weeks later which was about a week and a half ago they got married it was just and in the state of florida you don't even need a, you don't even need a witness so it was yeah. just me and the couple my my wife was there to take some photos and it was right outside of Lakey church it was a it was a beautiful thing and it was one of those rare moments where you're like okay so sometimes hard truths are necessary and it's not every time that someone's going to leave the church when yeah when you say a hard truth so it was yeah. it was a good conversation and ended up being a really sweet and, and fun story
2: i would say too like our pastors past, pastors i love that tim is that like I have this picture in my mind of like you're almost like leaning out over the edge of a pool and the pool is like grace and at the i mean it just takes the lightest hint of repentance to push you over into that pool so like like at the first at the first inkling sign of repentance it's grace Mm -hmm. like immediate grace because Mm -hmm. there's a tendency in us to be like well i don't know you repented but i want to see so we're going to wait six months for this marriage and then mm. you pastor are now guilty i think of causing little ones to stumble mm. and you need to be jesus words about that are really really strong so like at the first sign of any kind of repentance that somebody might have in a situation like this oh well maybe we should get married let's hey we'll book the church for tomorrow yeah let's get it done like god bless this thing we'll throw a party let's do it yeah you and, know and, that that's and, the posture i think we should have
1: I, and and Jeff like that attitude is what I think all the time. Like I, you know, you've heard all these like horror stories of like a sixteen year old girl got pregnant from her boyfriend, yeah, and the church refuses to hold like the baby shower, or the church refuses to allow that mom to dedicate the baby. Like that's a conversation that when I keep hearing about like m- like single moms not being allowed to dedicate their child in the church, I'm like, Wild. why are we? Why are really? we punishing? this
2: like like that gives me
3: intestinal distress i know dude. Like, I got, like, like there, are, there per,
2: are, amy and i probably lost a ministry job over that specific i would thing.
3: rather hear el shaddai in worship every week for the rest <laughs> oh, of man. my life that's rough ever deal with that <laughs> oh. <laughs> but like it's
1: it's like it's like you know it's one of those things where if someone is trying to do the right thing if they're, if they're, if, like i love how you said the inkling of repentance like w- why would we punish that because we want to have some sort of like legalistic posture that's that's like a biblical and like we are. It's just the workers trying to... in the field, man. It's the workers yeah. in the field. That's so. Are good. we mad that's... that
2: God is gracious because we've been here working all day and they just showed up and they got the same money as us? That's yeah, what that parable is about. That's good. That's good.
1: Well, hey, this has been a great episode. If you thought, thought it was a great episode, we, I would love for you to share this podcast with someone, rate and review this on on Spotify and Apple Podcasts. Uh, join us on Facebook again anonymous posts get jump to the top of something that we will talk about on this show Uh, we'll see you next week I'm Frank Gill
2: I'm Jeff Simpson
0: I'm Delmar Pete
3: (laughs) I'm Andrew Larson
1: and I'm Timothy Miller (laughs) this is practically pastor and see you next time bye
0: thanks for listening get connected to other pastors by joining the practically pastoring Facebook group where we get to share ideas and make each other better.
2: Hey. Hey.
3: Hey. Hello. All right. All right. Next episode shirtless or what?
0: no
1: no all right I'm gonna hang up everyone <laughs> come back into the call and uh, and then we will do-